Uh, and so uh, <clears throat> this week, uh, obviously Thanksgiving this week, uh, I'm always, uh, as we get to this time in the year and kind of this season and I start to look at it, I'm always kind of shocked that we're already here. Uh, I don't know if you feel that way, but I really feel like it just turned 2018 and we were just doing this last year. And so I'm always kind of like, just when I start thinking about Christmas and uh, Christmas series that we're going to start in a couple weeks and all those kind of things, I'm always just kind of blown away that we're here already. Uh, here we are uh, Thanksgiving this week. We get to celebrate with friends and family and uh, thanking God for all that he's done. And then we turn the corner and it seems like it's always a sprint to Christmas. Like it goes from this week to all of a sudden the end of the year. And it seems to happen just like that. And uh, this time of year, I love Thanksgiving. I love the opportunity to be with family and just celebrate and what that looks like. I love the Christmas season. Uh, but right in the middle of that, like I really hate Black Friday. Um, I hate the way that we've kind of we've bracketed. Uh, we've taken almost Thanksgiving and before it's over, we're just like pushing into this thing. Uh, I remember seeing a meme a couple years ago and it was a picture of a bunch of people crowding into a store, like rushing into a store. And the little thing said, only in America do we trample each other for sales the day after giving thanks for what we have. And it's funny, but then when you stop to think about it, it's actually pretty sad. It's kind of almost depressing when we start to think about it, that we get quickly caught up into that mess around this time of year, that it's like we've taken uh, what's supposed to be about Jesus and what he's come to do and the incarnation and what we celebrate and we make it into all these other things. And so uh, like Black Friday in general, that idea that we we're going to go out and buy a whole bunch of stuff and and find the right thing. And I think there's a bunch of things that kind of get mixed into that. Like if we just find the right thing, right, the right present or the right whatever, usually around this time of year, they'll start to kind of pump that there's like certain toys that are like the toy to have or the new technology or the new thing. And if you get that, then everything's great kind of idea. And it's like that's uh, if you've ever done that, you've ever bought those things, you've ever done that, you know, that's a lie. Right. Like as soon as you get it, you go and you buy it and you're like, you got to have that thing. And then like a week later, it's like on the shelf somewhere or uh, or if it's it's the kid's toy a week later, it's broken and they've moved on to something else. And so we get caught up so quickly into that kind of thinking around this time of year. And, it, and, it, and it's hard when we start to think about the season being uh, about Jesus and uh, God coming to us in the flesh, what we call the incarnation. That the creator God of the universe humbled himself to the point of coming in to us to serve us and to love us and to bring us back into relationship with him. But yet somehow we've ended up with like Black Friday somehow connects to that. And so I want us just to kind of pause today and, and instead of getting caught up and just rolling right along with that and think about what it would mean to be holy this season. And so when we say holy, that's a loaded word because sometimes we say that and uh, we have negative connotations that go with it. Uh, a lot of times when people say that holier than thou and I don't want to have anything to do with that. And so if you say I want us to be holy, there can be negative things that come with that. But the word holy really just means to be set apart, uh, to be different or to be in the Bible. It talks about being set apart to God, that we be holy to him, that we define ourselves by who he is. And making him the center of all things. And we want to be set apart to him. And so when we think of those commands and those calls to be holy in the Bible, to be set apart. And you look at the way our world usually gets swept up at this time of the year. And the way we celebrate and the way we look at things. 
Is that what holiness looks like in our culture? To just get swept up and do everything the same way that our culture does it. And so today I want us just to think about what it would look like. What would be a fitting celebration of who Jesus is and what he's done? And so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and some of the things that Paul says here. And and let me just give you some background as we step in, because there's a couple things that I just want to point out to you that Paul says here, because he's going to make a connection here to what he's saying to the gospel, to who Jesus is and what he's done. And he's calling us to this is what it looks like to live this out. And I think he's giving us some clues on what it would be like to be holy, to to celebrate this season in a way that is fitting to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's going to show us some things here. But as we jump in, we're jumping right into the, the middle of a, a letter that Paul's written. And so if you're not real familiar with Second Corinthians, let me just give you a little bit of background before we do that. This is a series of letters that Paul writes back and forth with this church that he helped start. Uh, that he lived there and he knew these people and he loved them and he spent a lot of time with them. And then as he went on his way and he began to go and spread the gospel and plant other churches, he got letters from them about mess that was going on in the church. And if you read First and Second Corinthians, they were a mess. They had all kinds of issues in all these ways. But Paul writes to lovingly correct and encourage and point them to a fullness of growing as a disciple of Jesus and what that looks like. And so in these letters, in the middle of this, we get to chapter eight and chapter nine, and he's talking to them about giving, taking a collection as a church for the church in Jerusalem. And the church in the Jerusalem at this time was really struggling because there was a great famine that had come. And so Paul was kind of going to a lot of these different churches and collecting and and bringing it back to help uh, alleviate what they were going through there. And so what he's saying here at the beginning of chapter eight, where we're going to pick up in here is he's telling them about how other churches have done this and what a great joy it was and how it helped. And he says there's been other churches that have done this, even though they weren't rich, they didn't have a lot. And even though they didn't have an abundance, they were still giving sacrificially to help benefit the church in Jerusalem that was really struggling. And so what the the background here is the church at Corinth had decided they were going to do that as well. And he's reminding them that they said they were going to do that. And he says, I want you to follow through in what you said you were going to do. And so we're going to pick up in chapter eight in verse eight of Second Corinthians. And he says this, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for our for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And I want you to look at chapter nine and verse six. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And so he's making this clear connection, especially as you see in chapter eight and verse nine with the gospel and being radically generous to others. He says, you see that everything that you are for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, even though he was rich, he became poor that you might become rich. And he's talking about the very heart of everything we believe about who Jesus is and what he's done and the way God has loved us in Jesus. 
And he's talking about the, the heart of the gospel that Jesus left his throne. Right? We, we looked at this just a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul says it this way. He says, but he emptied himself, talking about Jesus, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what he's talking about is Jesus humbling himself and emptying himself of all that he deserves as the king of creation. The creator and sustainer of all things allows himself to be born as a baby into poverty to a teenage couple in the middle of the Middle East with nothing. And what we have is the greatest image of humility, of sacrificial giving in Jesus as he empties himself and he lays down all that he deserves and all that he has. And he comes into this life, into his creation and he lives perfectly and he goes to the marginalized and he goes to the people that no one wants to spend time with and he loves them. He loves everyone perfectly, he loves God and he loves people. He gives of himself. He feels all of that fully. I think sometimes we miss that part. I always marvel at that Jesus being perfect in every way means that there was no self-centeredness in him at all. And so he felt the pain of every single person he was with fully and completely because he was fully present with them. And so you start to see what he sacrificed and what he gave. But not only that, he comes to the end of his life and he willingly takes your sin and mine on himself and he pays for it. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That we could become the righteousness of God in him. And he does that and he lays down his life and he bears God's wrath and he gives us his perfect righteousness that we can be in that relationship with God. And by emptying himself, he gives us riches beyond all compare that we can be in that relationship with God because of what he's done. And he's the perfect image of self-sacrificing, of generosity beyond all that we can imagine. And so Paul makes that connection and he says, you who know this, you know, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what God has done for you. And he says, so my my uh, in this matter, I give my judgment. You should give and you should give generously because that's who we are. United with Christ and what this looks like. And so Paul makes this connection that when we understand the gospel, that the gospel informs this radical generosity, the self-sacrificing generosity. And he's calling them to this. And when I think about that picture of what he's saying here and then the way our culture seeks to celebrate Christmas. They stand it pretty far apart. They're almost completely uh, the opposite a lot of times. And so Paul's giving this this image of what it would look like to really celebrate who Jesus is and the gospel informs that. But if you follow his reasoning, look at what he says right after that in verse 10. Of chapter eight, in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also the desire to do it. He's talking about taking up the offering for the church in Jerusalem. He says, now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. 
For I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much has nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. And so Paul makes this this point here of saying that it's all God's. He kind of erases the line between what is yours and mine and the way that we help one another. He says, out of your abundance, you can help those that have lack. And when you have lack, they can help you out of their abundance. And he puts it under the skies that it's all God's. I think that's a radical idea that if we ever got our head around, would completely change the way we live. That everything that we have and everything that we've been given is God's and he's given it to us through the, the good news of what Jesus has done. That we live and move and have our being because of who God is and what he's done. And that means everything that we have and we pretend like we own and it's mine, it's really all God's. And he's saying, so help one another, those that are in need and meet those different needs. But let's get the way he kind of summarizes it there. He quotes in verse 15 when he says this, as it's written, whoever gathered much has nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. And if if you're using the ESV Bible or the Pew Bible, there's a it's a tiny little a right the footnote you have pretty good eyes to see it because it's really really little but it tells you at the bottom where that comes from it says that comes from exodus chapter 16 and what paul's quoting what he's talking about is when god provides for the israelites when they're wandering in the desert and he gives them manna that came down from heaven to feed them and he gave them clear directions on how that worked he said don't take more than you need for this day for the day that it comes because at first what they were doing is they'd go out and they go, ah, there's plenty. And they'd start racking it all up. I'm going to get as much as I can so I can save some and I've got plenty. And what would happen is the next day they'd wake up and it would spoil. And God said, don't do that. I will provide for your needs. And so some people would gather more and some people would be less. And they'd start to share it as there was need. And then the next day God would provide again. And I think what Paul's pushing us to is that everything that we have is God's. And if we would adopt this image that we help those in need when they're in need and we can be alleviated from this fear that I get my security from what I have. That it's all about I have enough and if I have enough, I'll help you. Or if I help you and now I don't have enough, I'm so worried about what's going to happen. Paul goes, God's going to take care of it. It's all his anyway. And he says, when you have abundance, help those with that have lack. And then when you have lack, those with abundance will help you. And he's pointing to this great, big, profound thing that it's all God's and he's in control and he can take care of that. It doesn't mean we're not called to be good stewards. We are. But I, I do think he's calling us to don't be afraid to give generously because, oh, no, I might not have enough. He says, God's going to take care of that. And he's got you in the midst of it. And so he's calling us to this radical generosity that's rooted and grounded in the gospel. The very heart of what Jesus has done for us. But then he also tells us that there's great blessing that comes in that. And so if you look at chapter 9 and verse 6, he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. And so he's kind of pointing us to this. But then he says in in, uh, verse 10 of chapter 9, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way that through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so he, he tells us that when you give generously, God's going to bless you. There's going to be great blessing in, in starting to step out this way and actually give and seek to meet needs. And it's this incredible thing that God says over and over. Uh, in Malachi chapter 3, he actually says, try to outgive me. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, you can go read it for yourself, but that's what he says. He says, go ahead and and bring it and give generously and I will take care of you in this. And there's a blessing that comes. He says here, I'm going to enrich you in every way. And I think there's a blessing that comes when we start to be radically generous in this. He blesses us from the idol that money is. He alleviates that as we start to give and God meets needs and you see the things he's doing. It starts to get this idol exposed, this false notion that happiness comes from having stuff. From having lots of things, from hoarding lots. That's a lie. I say Black Friday in a lot of ways is built on that lie that you need a whole lot of things. And if you just get these things, everything will be good. That's not true. And when we start to get outside of that and we start to give And we start to meet needs and help others. We start to see that that's not true. That there's something even better than that. That we're aligning ourselves with who Jesus is. Who our sake became poor. That we could become rich. That the grace of God to us. And we extend that to others. There's a great blessing that comes in that. And so he enriches us in every way. He blesses us by freeing us from that. Freeing you from the burden of overspending Freeing you from the burden of thinking that if I just get all the right gifts and everything will be great. And, and don't mishear me. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts. I'm not telling you not to do Christmas or not do Christmas gifts, but think about what we're celebrating and the way we celebrate it. There's a quote in your uh, bulletin this morning. It's, I guess, kind of unique to the quotes that are there. There's one from uh, a Canadian rock band called Arcade Fire. Yeah, I picked that one today. <laughs> and, and the reason that it's in there is there's a song from a few years ago. Uh, and it says this. All the kids have always known that the emperor wears no clothes, but they bow down to him anyway because it's better than being alone. I remember hearing that years ago. And I don't know where Arcade Fire is in their faith. Or, man, but they say a lot of things that are pretty prophetic the way they say it to our culture. And when I heard that line and thought about what it was saying, and I was thinking about this sermon this week and the ways that we celebrate Christmas and the ways that we get caught up into it. And it says all the kids have always known that the emperor wears no clothes. And I thought about like this idea that we need lots and lots of stuff that our culture and we end up participating in it. We disciple our children that that's true. But when my kids were really little at Christmas, what would happen is you'd buy them gifts and you'd get these things and they'd unwrap it and they'd tear it open. And they'd go, oh, that's great. And then you know what happened? They'd play with the box that the toy came in. 
Because the truth is they don't care at all. And they'd start playing with other things or they'd take their stuff and they'd be like, yeah, great. And they'd run outside and they'd start playing with their buddies in the cul-de-sac. And within an hour, they've dropped the toys and they've picked up sticks and they're playing in the woods and they don't care. It was about playing together and spending time and having fun and doing it. And it wasn't even about the stuff. And I think about the line to that song that kids know. They know the truth. But then as they get older and my heart's broken, as I think about that, as my kids get older and then it's like you need to have this stuff to be cool. Right. And, and they know it's not true, but I'm going to bow down to it anyway because it's better than being alone. And so I need this stuff so people will like me. And we end up embracing lies instead of the truth of what God has told us. It is better to give than to get a bunch of stuff. It is better to help those in need than it is just to get a whole lot of things that we don't even really need to begin with. And so God blesses us in the sense of he starts to show us that there's something far greater than the ways that our world sees it. But there's also another blessing here that it says, if you look closely at verse 9, or verse 10 and 11 there of chapter 9. He says, He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness and you will be enriched in every way. And there's, this, there's the truth in the Bible that God blesses you, that you give and He blesses you. There's even passages that talk about you give monetarily and God gives back to you. He blesses you. Now, I want you to watch carefully and read your Bible carefully because I stopped right in the middle of the verse. I've heard people do this before. You give and you give generously and God is going to bless you. He's going to enrich you in every way. And they close their Bible and they say, so give generously Right? Put your hand on the screen and send a check in right now and God's going to unlock all this stuff for you. But you see what the rest of the verse says? Right? That's why don't take my word for it. Read what the Bible says. When the guy closes his Bible in the middle of the verse, read the rest of the verse. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God blesses us to be a blessing to others to glorify his name. It's not you send a check in and then God will make you rich and then you go along your way and you're happy because you have all the stuff. He blesses you so that you can give more. And you can be more gracious and you can help more people and you can meet more needs all that God's name would be glorified in that. And if we stop right there, we miss the whole point. But what I want you to see is that God does say when you give generously, he will meet your needs and he will bless you that you can do more of that. And the good news is there's a great joy in coming and being sacrificially giving to those who are in need. Right? Because that's what God did for us in Jesus. And we're aligning with who he is and we're getting to live the truth of that out in our lives. And the Bible talks about that over and over. It's always blessed to be a blessing. Starts with Abraham. It actually starts with Adam and Eve at the very beginning, but all the way through the story, that's what God's doing. That we would live generously so that we can give to others to glorify God. And so if that's what the Bible says, and that's what Paul's talking about here and he's pointing us to, what would that look like as we celebrate Christmas? To align with who Jesus is. 
that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. And so when we talk about this, I always try to do this before Black Friday. Because you're going to get the, the vortex of the holidays coming, right? And it's going to try to sweep you up into all this. Go spend and buy lots of stuff and go and do that. And so why I bring this up now is I just ask you to consider what it looks like this holiday. Uh, if you have children, what are you teaching your children in the way that we celebrate? It's a great discipleship opportunity. Of, of what are we saying about what it means to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done? And so what we do here is what we talk about is, is we talk about this Advent conspiracy. We didn't come up with it. Some different churches did years ago. And the idea is just this, is that as you look at your holiday spending and who you're going to buy gifts for and what that looks like, are there some relationships in your life where maybe you say to one another, I won't buy you a gift and you don't buy me a gift. Or in lieu of a gift, let's just get together and have dinner together. Let's spend time together and take the money that we were going to spend on the stuff that we didn't really need anyway, and we give it away to people who really do need it. Out of our abundance, we seek to supply for those that have lack. Right? Exactly what Paul's saying here. And so what I would just encourage you to do is prayerfully consider the money you're going to spend this holiday. It doesn't mean you won't buy gifts. It's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean you won't buy your kids gifts or you won't give gifts to other people. But would we consider what it would look like to glorify God in the way that we do it? And so what we do here is we just ask you, maybe it's as simple as I'm not going to buy one gift that was going to cost $10 and I'm going to give that $10 away. Right? God says here that it's not about how much you give. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I'm not going to tell you like it's a certain number or what it looks like, but would you prayerfully consider how do I celebrate the greatest news that's ever been? That the God of the universe entered time and space to save us. That became poor for our sake that we could become rich and prayerfully consider what that would look like. And then what we do is we put that money together and this year we're giving it to two things. One is Operation Christmas Child that we just kind of finished collecting those boxes, which, by the way, if you weren't aware, we did 211 here. Which is awesome. 211 kids that don't get anything. If you've ever watched the videos, go to their website and watch the kids open those boxes. Like the little ball and the paper and the stuff that we put in there and all the things, they open it and it's like the greatest thing they've ever seen. Because no one's ever given them anything at Christmas. And so money's going to go to help pay for, make sure all the shipping's covered for all of that. But then when that's done, the rest of what we collect is we're going to take and we're going to give to Meals by Grace here in Dawson County. Some of you have gone and been part of that. Meals by Grace takes meals each month the people in Dawson County that literally don't have enough food for the month. Those that really don't have any surplus. There's nothing there. They're scraping by. And so we get to minister to them by helping them in that. And so we're going to take that money and it's going to help provide meals for those in Dawson County. And when I think of those two ways of doing that, I go, what a great way to celebrate who God is and what he's done for us. That the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 
And it's a wonderful way for us to glorify God at this holiday season. And so I'm always overwhelmed. We always, it's incredible what people give and what we're able to give to those ministries. And so I just encourage you to pray about what that looks like, that we would truly celebrate. And then this week, as you come up to Thanksgiving, thank God for what he's done for us, what he's done for us in Jesus. And when we take uh, just capture of the next month and be running everything through that, how do we glorify God in the way we celebrate? That it would be truly a season that's about him and what he's done for us and not all the things our culture tries to make it about. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you've done for us. I thank you that you've come to us, that you've done what we could never do for us. This completely by your grace that we stand here as your people. I pray that we would remember that each and every day. I pray that uh, as we gather together with family and friends this year at, at Thanksgiving and we celebrate that, that at the heart of all of it would be your grace to us what you've done for us, that we would just be overwhelmed with thanksgiving of that. But also pray as we come into this holiday season, as we celebrate Christmas, that you would just help us to have that lens, to see everything through the gospel, and that it would be for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.